Now, last week, we looked at numbers four and five of these six illustrations that Jesus is giving us in the remainder of chapter five as he's sharing the Sermon on the Mount, all right? This amazing sermon uh, that covers Matthew chapter five to the end of Matthew chapter seven. And we've been looking at the last little part of Matthew five where there's these six antithesis statements that Jesus is giving, looking back at parts of their law to show how so many people were trying to apply the law to apply kind of a righteousness that they could have, thinking that if I live out this law externally, well, everything's going to be great now in my relationship with God. I'm going to be accepted. Everything's going to be good. But Jesus is covering these different points of the law to take it one step further and to show that even though you might uphold the law outwardly, you're inevitably and eventually going to break it inwardly just through your attitudes and your thoughts. Because the law was not meant to be just an external way to be righteous before God. It was meant to reveal what's really going on in the heart and that we are sinners, that we're lawbreakers in need of something greater than the law to save us. So that's what Jesus is looking to point out. So as he begins each of these six illustrations with, he begins each of them with saying this, you have heard that it was said, pointing back to the law, here's what you guys have been applying, here's what you've been living out, you know what it says in the law, but he says you've heard that it was said, but in so saying that, he's looking to really counter their perceptions of what it means to fulfill the law. Because he then goes on to say, but I say to you, all right. You've heard that it said, yes, you know the law, you've been living it, but I say to you, and he takes it one step further now to reveal it's really a matter of the heart. That understanding the law and living out the law or, or finding that righteousness really becomes a matter of the heart. And so here's the six statements that Jesus has been laying out. Don't worry, looking back to the law, don't commit adultery, uh, let divorce be done you know, properly. But then he says, let me share with you what the real intent or the purpose of the law is. That's why he says, but I say to you, because they were missing it, you see? They were, they were doing, and, and he's really, you know, through the book of Matthew, having to confront the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes he mentions already in, in Matthew 5. He's having to deal with the religious leaders who were, again, all about externals, putting on a show of righteousness, but he says, listen, you're missing it, all right? Because it goes much deeper than just externals. It goes to the inward attitudes of the heart. So that's why he says, listen, you know it says don't murder. And some of you are saying, yep, good. Haven't murdered anybody. All's well. But he says, but you know what? If you hate your brother, it's as though you commit a murder in your heart. Suddenly everybody's like going, oh, ooh, ouch. That one hurt. You know, let's leave this sermon. I don't like it. Um, And they're starting to be confronted with what's really going on in their heart. Everybody's going to be afraid to get up and go to the bathroom now because you're going to be spotted like, oh, they're not liking the sermons. So just hold it. We won't be long. Um, <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Um, so last week we covered numbers four and five. Don't swear falsely. Equal retribution is okay. But he gets, again, he goes, but I see, don't even look at trying to get around you or just let your yes be yes, right? Don't look at equal retribution, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Man, go the extra mile for your adversaries. So you looked at those things again, 
as we saw that sincerity that we're to have as followers of Christ, the, uh, that act of surrender we're to, we're to give. But now the last one, we're going to look at this act of selflessness. That's to mark the true believer in Christ. Remember, he's giving out now in the Sermon on the Mount, kind of, it's the constitution of the kingdom, all right? And so he's showing what a life is to look like that's a citizen of the kingdom of God. And it's marked here in these last three things that we've seen in Matthew 5 is a life of sincerity, surrender, and selflessness. So look at verse 43 with me, chapter 5. Verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Let me stop right there. So remember, Jesus is looking back to point out parts of the law that they're feeling they're upholding in an external way. Now, he's not just looking at parts of the law. He's also dealing with some of the oral traditions that have been passed down. Oral traditions that began to be, uh, you know, shown in the Mishnah, this oral tradition passed down because the word of God says very clearly, you know, love your neighbor. But then they began to look at, what does that mean to love your neighbor? Well, it must mean that we gotta love all things that you know, are of God, things that love God. So then if there's anything that's opposed to God, well, it's okay to hate that. In fact, by hating those things, we're gonna really be showing our love and our devotion to God. So they began to kind of twist things around to think we can love our enemies. In fact, loving our enemies is probably a good thing. It's showing how much we really wanna uphold the values of God, values of the word. But it's not in the word. We don't see that in the word. These were, again, the traditions that began to be passed down and trying to interpret what it means to uphold the law. Now, they had some idea of these kinds of things in the word of God or certain verses that they may have loosely applied to mean we can hate our neighbor. For instance, Psalm 139, verse 19 and 22. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Please, if you're praying this kind of prayer, just no more, all right? This is not... Again, the Psalms are great because they're revealing just real human emotion, but oftentimes it's coming to the Lord with these things to really begin to get the, the heart of the Lord. Again, another one is Psalm 140, verse 9 to 11, as for the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them, let burning coals fall upon them, let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits, that they rise not up again. Let not a slander be established in the earth, let evil hunt the violent men to overthrow them. So they had verses that they could kind of use to justify having this sort of righteous indignation, a righteous anger against others that were opposed to God. But, but that's not in the Bible, a command to hate your enemies. So Jesus comes along now and he begins to lay out for us, listen, you've heard that it was said, shall love your neighbor, right? Love your neighbor, but hate your enemy, not really scripture, but tradition passed down. But then Jesus comes along, but I say to you, and I want you to catch that. I say, he's looking to flip things around, flip the script a little bit. He says, love your enemies and not just love them. 
let's put that love into action because love is a verb. DC Talk fans, sing it with me, okay? Love, love, love is a verb. Okay, all right. Love is a verb. It's, it's an action. And so he says, don't just say you love them, bless them. Do good to those who hate you. And so love is something that we're to put into action. He's showing now what we're to do. Now, this love that we are to show to others is not something that we do just based on feelings or emotions, as oftentimes we can feel like love is really, you know, contingent to how we're feeling. Because understand, love your neighbor isn't a command when we feel like doing it. Love is something that comes from a choice. It's a decision that we make. It's governed by our will and desire to obey God. And it's not something that we are able to produce in our own natural ability because naturally, when somebody does something wrong against us, when there are people who might be spitefully using you and persecuting you, our natural tendency is to want to get back at them, to be mad at them, and to feel that we have a right to be mad at them. Can I get an amen? Some of you need to repent right now. All right, that's okay. Thank you for honesty. I'm, I'm with you on that. But you have that sometimes this, uh, and, it's, and it's something we have to kind of fight against in our flesh to go, oh, hold on. There's a different way for us as citizens of the kingdom. There's a different way that I don't have to respond that way, and I have the power in and through Christ because it's him that has loved me that way by which I can now love others in that way. That's this is a love that can only come through a life that's been born again and regenerated by the Spirit of God. Now, if you're having a hard time loving those that have come against you, bother you, hurt you, then you need to really evaluate, where am I at in my, my life in Christ? Have I truly surrendered to him? Have I truly lived a life of selflessness and allowed my life to be transformed through his life? Now, here's a great way. I, I kind of stopped in looking at some of these action things. Here's a great way to increase your love for those that might be coming against you. Notice what Jesus says, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And I'm not talking about those imprecatory psalms like they prayed, you know, break their teeth, oh Lord God. Some of you are tempted to pray those kinds of prayers for those that you're like, man, I'm having a hard time with that person. Lord, deal with them. I'm talking about praying for them, again, for the Lord to bless them. Because here's what happens. When you might have these kind of raw emotions against people that have harmed you, hurt you, that have bothered you, that have come against you and offended you, man, when you bring them to the Lord in prayer, what happens? You, you begin to develop the Lord's heart for them because these are people that Jesus died for. These are people that Jesus desires to save and to make new just as he's done with us. And when we begin to bring them to the throne of prayer, not for God to judge them, but for God to bless them and to make them new, then we begin to develop a heart of love for them. We begin to develop a heart of grace because we're, again, seeing, I pray, that that's the same grace and love that we were shown when we least deserved it. It's what Jesus did for me. None of us deserve to be showered this lavish love that Jesus did by dying on a cross to save us of our sin. None of us deserve that, and yet Jesus did that for each and every one of us. And so now, as we have been born again, made new in Christ, as we're citizens of the kingdom of God, we have a different way that we get to act now towards people that are so otherworldly. It's something that's so different than what they will experience in and through the world. Because the world oftentimes loves based on what they're getting in return. 
And if what they're getting in return is no longer that kind of reciprocal love, well, then they walk. But suddenly now when they see somebody returning love, when that love is not being reciprocated from the other party, they go, what's going, what's caused this person to tick? And it allows us to reveal our heavenly father. Listen, God does not show any kind of discrimination against. Notice what Jesus says. Listen, even our, our heavenly father, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. You notice he sends rain, very important in this day and in this climate, this part of the world. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. See, again, we might be those that are quick to walk in judgment towards other people and feel like we are justified in doing so, but the Lord doesn't do it. Oh, there's coming a time, yes, when people are going to reap what they sow and judgment is going to come. But right now, we know that God is a, a very benevolent, gracious God. And we need to leave that judgment up to him. Because like I said, when we live out this life of love, that's unconditional. That's putting, you know, something behind our words and how we live and how we act and what we do, some of the world's taking note. They're going, man, that's different. That's different than what I experienced elsewhere. And, and here's what Jesus says. It shows that we are sons of your father in heaven. Now it says that you may be, and this isn't written in a way to say, this is the way to be sons of the father. It's not through our works that we become sons of our father. No, we live this out because we are sons of the father. And those that walk this way demonstrate and reveal that they are children of God, born again, made new, that has something supernaturally working in them and through them to love the world. It shows that they are children of our father. Are you demonstrating that in your life? Are you revealing that you are a son of our Father in heaven by how we love, by how we walk, and how we serve one another. Because living this kingdom way should indeed cause us to stand out in this world, to stand out because we're representing the king, and we need to stand out. Sometimes we think, oh, I just want to fit in. I just want to be like everybody else, man. I don't want to, I don't want to really you know, rock the boat too much. But, and it should just naturally be happening because of what Christ has done in us and for us and what we desire to see him continue to produce through us. We should naturally be standing out in this world because we should be living different than how the world lives. Now, Jesus touches a bit on this because he says, if we're just loving the lovable, how is that different from anyone else, right? Notice he says, if you love those who love you, well, what reward have you? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? I think that's very important here because, again, there is an element of love that the world shows, but that love is a, a pseudo kind of love. The, the whole mantra of the day is just, you know, love, right? Let love be love and just love one another. But that love is not a genuine love. It's a conditional love. If you love me, if you accept me, then we can be loving. If you do this, then we can be loving. But that's a, that's a pseudo love. It's not a, a true, genuine love. So if we're just loving the lovable, then it's really no different than what we already see. What do you do more than others? 
it's already a love that's seen in the world, but this is a love that's so radically different than anything that the world experiences because it's the love of God. It's an unconditional love. It's a love that says, I'm willing to lay myself down. I'm willing to be mistreated and still continue to walk in love because that's what's going to demonstrate Jesus. We're called to lay our lives down in that kind of manner, the same manner that Jesus laid his life down for us. Let me read to you what Martin Lloyd-Jones says in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, the whole secret of living this kind of life is that man should be utterly detached. He must be detached from others in the sense that his behavior is not governed by what they do, but still more important, he should be detached from himself for until a man is detached from himself, he will never be detached from what others do to that self. As long as a man is living for himself, he is sensitive, watchful, and jealous. He is envious and is therefore always reacting immediately to what others do. He is in intimate contact with them. The only way to detach yourself from what others do to you is that you first of all detach yourself from yourself. That's the principle that governs not only this paragraph here in the Sermon on the Mount, but the previous one also. The Christian is a man who is taken out of this present evil world. He is placed in a position apart and lives on a higher level. He belongs to a different kingdom. He goes on to say, he is a new man, a new creation, a new creature. Because of that, he sees everything differently and therefore reacts in a different manner. He is no longer of the world, but outside of it. He's in a position of detachment. There, says Christ, you, be, you can become like God in this respect, that you will no longer be governed exclusively by what other people do to you. You will have something within you that will determine your conduct and behavior. See, so much of what we do is a response to what is done against us. And we respond very unfavorably if we're seeking to uphold our life and think nobody has the right to treat me like this. If we're upholding our life, if we're trying to hold on to our life, things are going to bother you, irritate you, frustrate you, and you're gonna continually be in a battle. The moment that we understand the value of laying our lives down, the very thing that Jesus has called us all to do who just fall, if anyone desires to come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What does that mean? You're dying to self. And guess what? When people come and they poke and prod you, when they frustrate you, when they irritate you and offend you, if you're living for self, you're gonna react. But suddenly, if you're saying, man, I've already laid my life down. They can poke the bear, but the bear ain't moving because the bear's dead. You know what I'm saying, right? You're not going to be feeling that frustration or annoyance. We need to detach ourselves from ourselves If we're going to live this kingdom life, it's what we're called to do. And then Jesus here, in the last verse of this chapter, kind of drops a bombshell. When that may cause us to scratch our head a little bit. He says this in verse 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Wow. Some of us are sitting there going, how? How is this possible? Oh, I'm trying, man, but I keep slipping up, man. I keep, I keep falling. I keep faltering. Now, 
this could be the most important verse of the Sermon on the Mount, but one that, again, could give a lot of people great anxiety. Thinking, is God really asking me to be as perfect as he is? As he is, does he know how weak and unable I am to uphold that? Now, it's true, if you want to be right with God, and by right with God, I mean, if you want to be righteous by upholding the law, you need perfection. James 2, verse 10 says, whoever shall keep uh, the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all of it. Complete perfection is what's needed if you're going to be right by and through the law. But the law was never given to make us right with God. The law was given to reveal our sin and our need for something greater beyond our own righteousness. Because like what Isaiah says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. We can never earn that favor of God by our works and by our righteousness. You need perfection. We're talking without sin. And there's only been one person in the entirety of the human race that has ever lived a life without sin, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's kind of the point here, because following the outward observances of the law isn't going to save you because the heart is going to eventually condemn you and reveal your guilt. You can put on a good show outwardly, but the whole point of this chapter is Jesus showing what's really going on in the heart. And basically, your heart's going to condemn you, which is why you need a heart transplant. You need to be made new in and through Jesus Christ. And perfection doesn't come from our perfect adherence to the law. It comes through a perfect Savior in Jesus Christ. Perfection doesn't come from our perfect adherence to the law. It comes through faith in a perfect Savior, which is Jesus Christ. We need to get that down, my friends. Because so many people default to, I got to try harder. I got to do more. I got to be a better person. And we think we're adding to, we're making it easier for Jesus to accept us if we just do more. We default to that so often. And yet, we have to simply rest in the fact that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Praise the Lord for that. So, Romans 8, 3, 4 again, for what the law could not do and that is weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that we might become the righteousness of God in him who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He did it all for us. He's made it all possible. And this word perfect now does not just imply how we need to be perfect. Our perfection is found in Christ. But this word perfect, let me explain to you, is elsewhere translated as, as mature. And it's from the Greek word teleos. Teleos is the adjective formed from the noun telos. Telos means an end, a purpose, a name, a goal. A thing is teleos if it achieves the purpose for which it is planned. Human beings are perfect if they achieve the purpose for which they were created and sent into the world. What were we created for? Well, we were created to bring glory to God. I think Romans 8, 29 can really sum it up that we were predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what we've been saved for. So we've been called to, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And we reflect Jesus well when we follow what Jesus is showing here. We walk in sincerity. 
We walk in surrender. We walk in selflessness as we've seen here today in this last part of the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 5, I should say. Listen, God knows we're not going to be sinlessly perfect. Thank the Lord for that. It, it never is cause for us to go, oh, well, if he doesn't expect that, then I guess I just keep on sinning and he'll understand. No, our aim should be, man, I don't want to live like the world. I don't want to entertain sin. I want to reflect Jesus more, but it's only through his power am I going to be able to do that. And that's why he comes to make us new. That's why he comes and transforms us from the inside out. And so our desire is to continue on maturing in how we handle things that come against us, that we keep on growing so that we're reflecting Jesus rather than the God of this age. When people are coming and using you spitefully, persecuting you, how are you going to respond? It's only through a new heart that Jesus gives us, through standing in his righteousness, that we're going to be able to respond as sons of the Father in heaven, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, reflecting him in this world. This word perfect is not so much a command for us as it is a summation. We don't have to be people that are being controlled by what the world does around us or by how people treat us. We don't have to feel beat down and offended by threats or hurts against us if we're truly following Jesus and allowing him to make us new. But who he has made you to be who he has made you to be, which is perfect, mature. Keep growing in those things. Keep resembling Jesus as citizen of the kingdom of God through the power of his life that's made us new, the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And that's what we get to celebrate here today in baptism. And in fact, those that are getting baptized, you may kind of slip out, go and get changed and get yourselves ready for baptism. We move into this in our service here this morning because it's here in baptism that we get to celebrate with one another lives that have been changed and made new. People that have been plucked out of darkness and death the very path that every single one of us were on apart from Jesus Christ. In fact, some of you might be listening to this message today, whether you're watching online or you're here with us presently, and maybe you've been sitting here going, I, I don't know where I stand with the Lord. I don't know if I'm truly a child of God. When Nicodemus asked, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Jesus said, you must be born again. And that's the answer for every one of us. It's not found in living a better life, cleaning ourselves up. It's found in Jesus making you new. And you see, Jesus came and he identified with every one of us. He came, was born in this world, and he lived a human life. And he came and was baptized in water to identify with humanity. And he fulfilled the work of the Father, eventually by going to the cross. And when he went to the cross, an incredible work took place because Jesus took our sin upon himself and he died. And in dying, he was paying the penalty for that sin because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. He bore that judgment of God that we deserved. He took the penalty for our sin, which was death, so that we could be spared. But he didn't just die. He rose again three days later to secure life for every person that believes. And that's the beauty of this all. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's not by what you do. It's not by trying to be righteous. It's by receiving the righteousness of Jesus Christ, by accepting his life by faith. And it's by his grace that he saves you. You don't have to do anything 
to try to earn your way. You simply recognize your sin and your need, and you put your faith in Jesus. And in doing so, you become born again, a new creation. And if there are those of you listening today that don't know where you stand with God, that can change in a heartbeat right now by simply turning to Jesus, calling out to him to save you and putting your faith in him. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Worship team, I'm gonna invite you to come up. And if you're here and you need to know that assurance of salvation, that when you die, you're gonna be with Jesus in heaven. Maybe you're thinking, I hope that's gonna pan out that way. I'm doing my best to earn my way to heaven. Understand, you will never earn your way. It's a gift given to you that you just simply have to receive through faith in Jesus. And if you're here today and you need that, would you simply just pray a prayer with me? It's nothing magical about this, but it's simply making that, that confession of faith in Jesus. And just pray a simple prayer like this. Jesus, I confess today that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of saving. And I turn to you right now as the one that has done the work to save me. And I put my faith in you, Jesus. Thank you for dying on a cross. Thank you for rising again that I could have life and eternal life in you. I receive that today. Come and be my Lord and my Savior. I want to live my life for you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today from your heart and sincerity, the Bible says that you're a new creation. You're a child of God. And if you prayed that today, would you let us know? Either come and talk to those that will be available in the front for prayer after, or if you're watching online, email us. We would love to share more with you and, and encourage you on your way in this new life in Christ. And that's what we're celebrating here in baptism is that uh, baptism so pictures this life that Jesus lived for us as he went to the cross, was buried, and yet three days later rose again. This picture of baptism is signifying this life that was dead, we're laying it down, and we're coming up now, washed clean through Jesus Christ, forgiven, and have new life in Jesus now today. Praise the Lord for that.